All right, we're going to get started. I'm sure some people will still kind of meander in, but my name's Tori Zbinden. I work with Disciple Makers in the Berks County area team, and you are currently at a workshop about forgiveness. And I'm not sure exactly what brought you to this workshop today, but I'm going to make a, a couple guesses potentially why. I suspect most of you, if not all of you, are grappling with some kind of hurt or wrong someone has done to you. But I also realize there's probably a big spectrum of that hurt or wrong that might have been done for you. Maybe you're grappling with forgiveness for a roommate who ate your food in the refrigerator. Or maybe you're grappling with something that your parents did to you that was really hard and hurtful. Or maybe you're grappling with a, a boyfriend or girlfriend who lied to you or maybe even cheated on you. Or maybe you're grappling with a, uh, an absent parent or uh, even someone who sexually abused you. The spectrum of what might be something you need to forgive is, is large. Um, there's, there's a long list, a diverse list, and a comp complex list of why you might be in this room today. But maybe you are just curious about what forgiveness is and why Christians talk about it all the time. Or, or maybe you're wondering, can I be forgiven? I take whatever you brought into this room, the reality of it, I take it very seriously. And my hope for our time today is that I won't make light of what is complex, what is deep, and what is probably very personal. But I also want to acknowledge the fact that forgiveness is an unavoidable reality of the Bible. In many ways, it's the very heart of the Bible. To truly know who God is, you can only know him through his forgiveness to you. And because God forgives us, he calls Christians to forgive others. So uh, the reality of forgiveness, it's deep. <laughs> it's hard. And if it's something that sounds easy to you, I am going to kindly suggest that you've never truly had to face forgiving someone. However, sweet brothers and sisters, we have a kind God. We have a good God and we have a realistic God who, yes, calls us to forgive, but calls us to forgive in a realistic way. And so I'm hoping today, as we talk about forgiveness, it feels realistic, that you realistically feel like, okay, this is hard, but it, it's something I might be able to do. I, I really want it to be practical. I want you to leave today beginning to start to, to wrestle with the idea of, can I forgive said person? So I want, to, want us to start off right now. I want you to self-reflect. It's going to be quiet for like 10 seconds. I want you to think to yourself, why am I here today? Who am I thinking about? Who do I need to forgive? Because I want us to listen to this workshop intentionally and purposefully with that thought or person in mind. So take 10 seconds, self-reflect. Why am I here today? Who do I maybe need to forgive? So as we jump in, I want you to keep this in mind. I want us to keep this in mind as we go and move to what I think is the, one of the most helpful passages in the Bible about forgiveness. It's Matthew 18. 
If you haven't found the uh, scripture and outline, we are on page 42 and 43 in your packets. And I'd love for you to follow along as I read. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, him being Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the, that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from his heart, from your heart. So this is Jesus talking about forgiveness in the kingdom of heaven. And I think there's a lot we can learn practically about what forgiveness looks like in our lives from this story. But before we get into the practicals, I want us to just understand the story. Make sure we get our bearings there first. And that's your first point here on the outline is just understanding the story. I have a couple sub points there. The first one is the realistic question. So Peter, one of the 12 disciples approaches Jesus with, I think a very realistic question. How many times should I forgive? Maybe that's kind of why you're here. How much do I need to forgive? And uh, he says seven times. Peter suggests maybe seven times is enough, which I could tell you in Jewish culture, that's a lot. But I mean, in our culture, that's a lot. Like seven times to forgive someone for a repeated offense is pretty generous. And uh, Jesus responds to Peter by doing three things. He answers his question. He illustrates what he means. And then he applies it. So we're going we're gonna to walk through that here. So that he first he answers the question with what seems actually the opposite of realistic. It seems shocking and unrealistic. In verse 22, Jesus, just, Jesus gives this answer. He says, not seven times, but 77 times. That's basically the Jewish way. Remember, Jesus is Jewish. That's his way of saying unlimited amount of times. He's not saying all right, you're at 76, 77, you're good. No, 77 is essentially saying, I want you to forgive not seven times, but infinite amount of times. So this doesn't feel realistic so far, but Jesus goes on to explain 
his answer with a story to illustrate. And this story has two acts. Uh, we're going to look here first in Act 1, which starts in verse 23 of what we just read. Here's a little bit of a summary of what we just read. There was a king who wanted to settle accounts, and one account was brought to him that a person owed 10,000 talents. All right, we need to pause here and make sure we understand what 10,000 talents is. So one talent is 20 years wages, okay? We need to grasp this reality because one talent is 20 years wages. You guys are barely 20 years old. That's your whole life. Okay, 10,000 talents is 200,000 years wages. That is an impossible debt to pay. An old person might live 100 years, but never could a single person get close to 200,000 years of wages. And I want you to notice something about this fact that there was an account of 10,000 talents is that the king kept an account. In verse 24, the king knew how much was owed him. He didn't lose track. It wasn't like he was like, okay, it's been a thousand talents. Let's just call it a day. No, he kept tally each day, each penny that was lost him. He knew nothing got by him. This was a large amount that he did not lose track of. Okay, so let's continue on. This man owes 10,000 talents and obviously he cannot pay it. In verse 25, the king orders him and his family and everything that he has to be sold so he can get some of the money back, right? That's not, that's not really getting anywhere near what he truly owes, but maybe it's 10 talents worth of it. Um, it's actually kind of a fair deal considering how big this debt is. But in verse 26, you want to cast your eyes there. The servant falls on his knees, implores him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. What a ridiculous idea that he could pay 200,000 years worth of money. But this king is gracious and he forgives the debt and releases the servant. But I want us to, to think about this. Pause here again. I want you to ask yourself silently this question. If the king forgives this 10,000 ta talent debt, who, how does, how does the king forgive this debt? If the man doesn't pay the 10,000 talents, who pays the 10,000 talents? I think we often skip by this. Someone had to pay the 10,000 talents and that was the king. Let me, let me say it in a way us poorer folk can understand, okay? Say I lend you $10 to buy a smoothie and you can't pay me back $10 to buy a smoothie. I say, all right, it's, I forgive you. Your debt is waived. Who loses the $10? Me. I paid $10 for you to buy a smoothie. Somebody had to pay the $10 for you to get the smoothie. It doesn't just disappear because it was forgiven. There was a debt and it had to be paid. This man had 10,000 talent debt and it had to be paid. Who paid it? The king. The king paid the debt. And I think this is important for us to pause and realize because one, I think it helps us realize that forgiveness is not free. 
It might be free to the person who is forgiven, but it comes at a very high cost to the person giving forgiveness. But I also want us to realize something else, that this king is rich. Not only did he have 10,000 talents to give, he was able to absorb the cost when it wasn't able to be paid back. Okay, so this, this kind of wraps us up. Act one, this generous king pays a debt that was owed him and forget, by forgiving it and forgives it and lets this man go. Okay, act two. This picks us up in verse 28. I call this act a, act that a servant and a hundred denarii debt. So in verse 28, the same servant goes out and finds a friend who owes him a hundred denarii. All right, let's pause again. Make sure we know what a hundred denarii is, okay? So one denarii is one day's wage, all right? Let's do some fast math. A hundred denarii is a hundred days wage, about three months salary. Okay, that's not as much as 10,000 talents, not anywhere as much, but, but let's be honest. Three months wage is, is kind of still a chunk of money. Like it, if someone were to take three months of my salary, I would be hurting, you know, like that, that's, a, that's a substantial cost. It's still a lot of money. And I, I really think it's interesting how Jesus leaves this detail of how much the servant was owed by his other servant. Because I think it shows us a few things. I think it shows us that Jesus doesn't turn a blind eye to debts that people are owed. By Jesus mentioning this amount, we can see that there's real cost to forgiveness for servants to forgive other servants. It's not free for them either. It's not like it's 10,000 talents and a penny. It's 10,000 talents and a real debt. I also want you guys to notice that similar, this servant who was just forgiven, he also kept an account. He knew he didn't let 10,000, uh, he didn't let the 100 denarii get by him. He also kept an account similar to the king. He also kept an account. He knew about the 10,000 talents. I think that so far to up until this point, these two acts are very similar. They both have a debt. They both kept the account of that debt and they both approached the person who owed them the debt. That's actually, uh, almost word for word the same in verses 26 and 29. I'm going to read verses 29, but maybe while we're reading it, glance over at verse 26 and just see the similarities here. Verse 29, it says, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. I'm just going to read verse 26 because I bet as his fellow servant said these words, how could he not remember that moments before he said, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. It must've been a deja vu moment. He just said the same thing to the king. This is the climax of both of these acts. This, if this was a play, this would be the tight of tension. What will he do when he hears the same words that he just said repeated back to him? Will he forgive this debt or will he demand it be paid? Unfortunately, this is where the similarities of the two acts end. In verse 30, 
He, let's look at it. In verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Unlike the king, he doesn't give his friend a chance to pay the debt. While it was a big debt, it actually could have been paid back. Three months wages. It's a hunk of chunk of money, but it's payable. And he threw him into jail, a place where it would, it would be, he probably couldn't even pay it back. This is just pure vengeance at this point. However, this might seem like it's the end of the story, but there's still some good juice that we can squeeze out of this that I want us to still consider. The story takes an interesting turn in verse 31. In verse 31 are some characters that are often overlooked, but these onlookers, these fellow servants, they actually get, have the right idea. Look with me again at verse 31 as I, as I read it. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported it to their master, all that had taken place. So these other servants, these onlooker servants, they see that this guy who was just forgiven didn't forgive. And they see this injustice and they are distressed. When they see this wickedness, they run and tell everything to the master, the king. They take the wrong and they go to the only person who can actually do something about it. They run to the king. And that's exactly what the king does. He exacts justice. He does not tolerate the wickedness. In verse 32, he says, you wicked servant, I forgave you the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And this is where this illustration comes to a close. But before Jesus finishes his lesson on forgiveness, he wants to make sure Peter, remember he asked the question, how many times should I forgive? He wants to make sure Peter understands how this applies to him. In verse 35, Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's a small verse, but it's a key verse to understanding the entire passage. It shifts our attention from how much should I forgive? How many times to the heart behind why we should forgive? So I want you to notice a couple things about this verse 35. Do you see how it starts with this word, so also, these two words? It's, it's making this whole story uh, a metaphor. This is not a story about money and finance. It's a story about sin against God and forgiveness to us and how that should affect our relationships with others. Some of you probably already started picking up on that. Where God is the father, uh, God the father is the king and us Christians are his servants and uh, the debt is actually the sin against God and forgiveness is what we need. I want you to see here how Jesus is reframe, reframing how Peter should think about forgiveness. Peter is thinking about forgiveness as primarily an issue between me and my buddy. How many times should I forgive my buddy? But Jesus is trying to shift it from primarily being about us and other people to being about us and our relationship with God. Forgiveness is actually about how we view God and then therefore how we view others. Do you see that? 
Do you see how it's not, how do I forgive my brother? It's, a, it's, do you realize you've been forgiven by your father? It's even shifted. Jesus says, instead of saying, so also our master and king. No, he says, so also our heavenly father. Your father has forgiven you. You should forgive your brothers. So for the remaining time we have together here, I want to shift our attention to how to think about this practically when it comes to our lives. And I have it here uh, in two kind of sections here. I think it should, two ways this story helps us think about forgiveness. It, it re reframes our perspective on forgiveness and it renews our practice. And I have three things underneath each of those two things. So uh, the first way it reframes our perspective is it reframes, it reframes it for us to realize that we are all debtors to God. All of our lives are stories that start with us as debtors against God. Remember how we looked at verse 24, how God knew an exact amount that was owed him, that the king, he had 10,000 talents, and that how that was an, an unpayable amount of money. Well, this is a picture of our sin. And it's not a little bit of money. It's not a little bit of sin. It's a lot. And God knows all of it. He hasn't lost track of a single wrong or disobedience that we've done against him. He knows about that small embellishment you made about yourself in the hallway moments before this. He knows about that sexual fantasy you had before you fell asleep last night. He knows when you cast your eyes at the test next to you and use that same answer as your friend or stranger. He knows your browser history. He knows all your judgmental thoughts. He knows it all. He hasn't lost track, not of a single wrong you've done. Not a single way you've broken his law has gone by him. We need to shift our perspective and realize we have a debt against God. And this leads us to the second thing. Forgiveness for that debt, it is costly. Remember, 10,000 talents is a huge sum. This man could never pay back. He racked up an impossible amount of money. The best he could do is sell him and his family and all his things, and it still would not even pay back what he owed. Let me tell you guys, we like this man are unable to make up for the sins we've committed against God. And we like this man are deluded to think, have patience with me, Lord, have patience with me. I will get my act together. I will earn back my way to you with my good deeds. Just like this man who owed 10,000 talents, we too do not have the funds to pay back God for all we've done wrong. Saying we can earn back, God, earn back God's good favor with our good deeds is like saying we can live 200,000 years. It's a joke and it's, un, it's not in touch with reality. The reality is that we deserve death for our sins and our disobedience to God. But honestly, death, it's like sending the family and selling the family and all the goods. Death wouldn't actually even pay for all the wrong we've done. Earning our forgiveness is a reality that we'll never be able to achieve or afford. 
Our only hope is if, like the servant, someone else pays for the debt that we owe, but that someone has to be able to have the funds to pay for such a grievous debt. And the only person who can afford this costly debt is God himself. We have, we need to reframe our, our thinking to realize how big our debt is, how desperately we need forgiveness because it's costly and we cannot earn it ourselves. And this leads me to the next thing that should reframe our perspective, that God pays the cost. <laughs> this is good news, friends. In verse 27, the king forgives the servant his debt. The servant gets off scotch free. He did nothing to earn it. But what might be free to him comes at a huge cost to the king. The same is true for our sin. We too have forgiveness offered to us, free of charge. No work or nothing we need to do to earn it. But do not be fooled, friends. It was not free. It came at a huge cost to God. We were wicked. We did wrong. We deserved death. And justice was demanded because that's just. But God instead sends his son to die on the, the cross for our sin. That debt was paid by God himself dying for our sin. The price was high, but Jesus pays it. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. This reframes our thinking. We are forgiven. We are forgiven big time, but it wasn't free. This is not primarily a story about a king paying off his debts, but it's the very heart of the Bible. This is what people call the good news, the gospel. It's a story about God dying to forgive us of our sins. And maybe this is the first time you're hearing this, or, or maybe you've been hearing this and you haven't actually changed this to your perspective. This is the solid ground Christians stand on is that we are forgiven by a God because he paid the price for our sins by dying on the cross. And if, if this is the first time you've heard about the forgiveness offered to us by God, I, I encourage you to really consider trusting in faith that Jesus died for your sins and live as forgiven and free um, child of God. So, but if you are a Christian, this actually, this good news, you embrace it, it should renew your practice of forgiveness. It should affect how you think about forgiveness. So we're going to shift here to that, that second point. Uh, it renews our practice. So the first thing I want us to, to think about how it renews our practice is that we can keep an account. God knows the wrong that was done to him. And so can we. Jesus acknowledges that there was a debt owed. A hundred denarii was, the servant was owed a hundred denarii at three months wages. It's a painful amount. It's a real amount. And there's nothing wrong for the servant keeping an account of what was owed him. And the same is true for us. And I think this is so helpful and so realistic. I think so often forgiveness has this uh, unhelpful idea, just forgive and forget. But that's not what God's asking us to do. 
God's not asking you to turn a blind eye and pretend like what happened to you didn't happen. No, we can, we can look it in the eye and call it what it is. We should know when wrong has been done. We should be bold in calling wrong, wrong, sin, sin, evil, evil. And we like the king and even that servant should know what the debt was against us. I want you to consider the 10 seconds we took thinking about the person we need to forgive. I want you to consider who you need to forgive. And maybe today or tomorrow or sometime in the near future, write up the cost, write up the debt, make an account, make a list, write down the wrongs that have been done to you. Know exactly how many denarii you are owed. I remember doing this myself when I was in college after hearing a workshop similar to this. And I realized how much unresolved resentment I had been holding to someone in my life. Someone who had not done wrong to me once, but again and again. And I was convicted by this passage. And, and one of the, the things I did in response was I sat down and I made a list of the wrongs that had been done to me. I made an account. The list, I have a couple of things I wrote down. This is what was all, some of the things on the list. One, they were emotionally manipulative to me. Two, as a result, I have a hard time knowing what's right and wrong in relationships. Three, I am pretty unafraid of emotions. Four, they failed in their responsibilities to me. The list went on and on. And I freed myself to write down every single grievance, to document the hurt, to count the cost. We learn in this story that we can keep an account and maybe we even should we should know the wrong that was done to us. However, this is not where the story ends. Remember that servant who also kept an account? He had the choice to make, right? This is, the, this is the next thing when we were doing our practice. We too have a choice to make. We've now counted up the cost. When we look at those, that list we wrote of whoever that person you think you're thinking of, now we have to choose. Are we gonna forgive or are we not gonna forgive? Are we gonna make them pay or are we gonna pay? Practically, we have these two options, to forgive or not to forgive. If we do not forgive, AKA we make them pay, we demand, we demand retribution. We demand revenge. If you don't know what retribution is, it simply means, it simply means punishment inflicted on someone as vengeance for a criminal act. Or the other option is we do forgive. We choose to pay, we choose to forgive. And I'm not saying you feel like you should forgive, you feel warm and fuzzy towards them. No, I'm saying you choose forgiveness. It's not a feeling, but a choice. All right, let's slow down and think about those a little further. I'm gonna use my story as an example here. So let's say I make them pay. I choose not to forgive. I wrote that list I just read to you. When I look at this list of this person, I honestly wanted to make them pay. And these are the ways I thought about making them pay. Ways I could, if I chose not to forgive them, I could make them get retribution and seek revenge. One, I literally wanted harm for them. I wanted to make them pay by having harm come to them. I, I wanted to cut them out of my life. I wanted to make them pay by them not being part of my life. I, I actually went out of my way to try and make them experience the same things they had done to me, to them. 
maybe, maybe if you look at your list, you're going to have some other things that you would write. Maybe for you, you give the silent treatment. That's how you make people pay. That's how you get revenge. Or maybe you bully back. You bully them back. Or maybe you gossip about them. You, you seek revenge and retribution through gossip. Or you quietly, in your thoughts, you just wish them harm. Maybe even pray for harm. I don't know what it is, but you probably know. If you sat and reflected the ways that you seek revenge for this person who hurt you, that you desire retribution, that's option one. That's what the servant did. He made his fellow servant pay. He sought revenge in his own hands. However, there's the other option. We choose to forgive. By choosing to forgive, we're removing ourselves from the responsibility of needing to bring retribution. To, we're removing ourselves from the responsibility, responsibility from bringing justice. And we're entrusting that to God. We're entrusting God to execute justice for all of the wrong. So I want you to ask yourself this question. If you're, if you're going to grapple with, am I actually forgiving someone? Are you, who, ask yourself, who am I looking? Am I looking for revenge? Who am I entrusting vengeance to? Because there's several times in the scriptures that God says that vengeance belongs to him. And that as followers of Christ, we are called to forgive, not to seek vengeance. And we choose to forgive by doing two things. We choose to forgive by one, not seeking revenge. And two, by instead trusting vengeance to God. So let's revisit my example with this person who has hurt me. Every time their phone came, their name came up on my phone, I had a choice. Will I seek revenge and just ignore their calls forever and ever? Or will I trust the Lord with my hurt and answer it and, and take a small little step towards them? I had to choose to forgive and absorb the emotional cost of what they had done. And moment by moment, day by day, little by little, I paid back the debt they owed me. Because the reality is we might not be able to choose to forgive everything all at once. In our daily lives, we just have a choice. Will I make them pay or will I pay? Will I forgive or will I demand retribution? Because we're not God. We might not have the ability to forgive everything a person has done to us all at once. Just like a man, probably the man who was owed a hundred denarii, he, who knows, maybe he couldn't just absorb that three months cost. We might not be able to foot that bill all at once, but we can choose to pay even if it's a little by little. I might not be able to pay three months wage all at once, but I can afford $1 today. I can afford $1 tomorrow and maybe $1 the next day, and slowly but surely, that three months of debt that had been owed me gets chipped away and paid off. And every time we choose to pay a debt that we are owed, it's like a little loan being paid. Some of you guys have college loans. A little bit at a time pays them back. And chipping it off a little at a time works towards forgiveness, and we trust God with a uh, vengeance. If we make them pay retribution, 
the reality is that the debt will never go away. But if we pay and we extend forgiveness, we can trust that the debt will eventually be paid. So I want to I want to pause here before we continue and I want to be careful. Because for some of you in this room, the people who hurt you are not safe. And I'm I want to be clear, I'm not saying that forgiving means you have to be best friends with them. I'm not saying you need to give them your trust again. Or even that you even have to have them in your life or start talking to them again, talking to them again or even see them again. I am saying what Jesus is saying in verse 35. That you have to forgive your brother from your heart. And when I say forgive from your heart, I mean entrust God with the vengeance and start making little daily choices to forgive. The payment plan starts in our hearts and flows into our mind and out into our actions. What it actually looks like, if you see them, if you don't, if you talk to them, if you don't, it looks different from situation to situation. And I, I acknowledge that it's really confusing and complex. And so I really encourage you to talk to a godly, wise person in your life. Maybe that's an elder at your church. Maybe that's your disciple maker, staff worker, or an older upperclassman or your pastor, or maybe godly parents for some of you. I encourage you to talk to someone to help you sift through what would be actually godly, wise forgiveness in this situation. Am I seeking vengeance? Or do I need, are there ways I can choose to forgive? And for many things in life, as we faithfully choose to forgive, the feeling for uh, the feelings of forgiveness will eventually follow. As you chip away $1 at a time, that three months debt will eventually be paid for some things. Maybe you find, like for example, your roommate who ate your food. You find after a couple days of choosing to not be angry at them, choosing to not seek revenge and eat their food, that your emotions follow and you've actually forgiven them. Maybe you, same thing with an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend. You choose to slowly, day to day, every time you think about them or something reminds you of them, instead of thinking about them as the spawn of Satan, you start to just choose to believe the best and move on. And slowly but surely, as you choose to forgive, instead of seek revenge, the debt will be paid. Same thing, I think another thing, like some of you might find yourself being, finding as you choose to forgive the shortcomings of your parents day by day, not seeking vengeance or anger, that you'll eventually find that you are able to be more patient with them and accept their flaws as who they are as you practice forgiveness for the ways they have hurt you. For me, with the person that I've been using as an example, there's, there's still times I'm confronted with areas I need to choose to forgive. But on the whole, I can truthfully tell you the debt has mostly been paid. And to my utter shock, this person has almost even become delightful to me. Uh, However, it took time of choosing to forgive, to choose to let God see the hurt and be the one who brings vengeance. But I also wanna acknowledge there's some debts, there's some things that have been done wrong to you that will never be paid. 
They won't be paid back until glory. And you, you will just be spending, just entrusting the Lord by faith, day by day, chipping away at the debt. Uh, and, but our call is not to repair everything here on earth. Our call is just to trust our good heavenly father who's forgiven us. And that we know that one day our heavenly, we'll be with our heavenly father in glory and all things will be made new. All things will be, be healed and repaired and justice will be paid. And we can just do what our heavenly good father has called us to do, choose to forgive. Even if we never feel complete healing with the situation here on earth. Because in the end, we know because of Christ that everything that was wrong will be made right. And this leads me to the, the, the final thing here as we renew our practice of forgiveness. We need to remember God's grace to us and run to him for help. Especially those debts that just feel so hard to choose to forgive. Remember those, in verse 31, those characters that get often overlooked, those onlookers, those fellow servants? Well, they have the right idea. When they see this injustice, this wicked servant, they get distressed. But what do they do? They don't demand justice or retribution. They run and tell everything to the master, their king. They take the injustice they witnessed and they go to the only person who can do anything about it, the king. That was the right move. And the king says to the unforgiving servant, you should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you. And while that servant didn't do it, those onlookers did. They saw the mercy the king had. They remembered it and it affected how they lived. They remembered the incredible mercy and they, it moved them to go to the king for help. They went to the only place that real justice could be served and real help could be given. The same is true for us. We need to regularly remember and reflect God's mercy to us as he forgave us of our sin, of our $10,000 talent on the cross. And then we need to, when we are forgiving others, we need to run to him and cry out to him for help as we are choosing to forgive those who've hurt us. Forgiveness is hard, but I think Jesus here really paints a realistic picture where we don't need to just forget, forgive and forget, but we can run to the father and move towards others. We feel at the end of ourselves and the pay like payment plan is too big. We can call out to our heavenly father for help. We were God's enemy. Our debt was unpayable, but he paid for it by dying in our place. It was clear those onlooker servants knew that the king was good. And that's what moved them to run to him. If, the gener if this king was generous enough to pay that 10000 talent debt, why wouldn't he be good in helping them with other things? It reminds me of, of something similar. Paul said in the book of Romans, it's right there on the top of your outline. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God forgave us our 10,000 talent debt, why would he stop at that? When we run to him and ask for help as we're forgiving others, why wouldn't he help us? Just like this says, why would he not also graciously give us all things? 
God paid the debt we cannot pay back by sending his son to die for us. Why wouldn't we run to him in all our times of need, including our need to, to help forgive? Forgiveness, the God is calling you to you, is hard, but it's realistic. You don't have to turn a blind eye to it. And it's, it's hard, but we can forgive because we've been forgiven. I want us to spend, um, well, we don't really have any remaining time, but sometime this week and or this coming week, if you look here on page 42, I have um, these three things that here. There's just a small little section, but the debt. I want you to write down the debt that was done to you, the things that was, make an account. And then the payment plan. There's, this is the opportunity for you to write down, how am I going to choose to forgive them? That also takes self-reflection or where are the ways I'm tempted to make them pay? Like, I'm not going to ignore them anymore. Or I'm not going to fill in the blank. And then the last thing here is our prayer to God. How can you practically ask God to help you? Where does it feel too hard? I want you to seriously, realistically count the cost, figure out a way to pay the cost, and to actually go to the God who, who ultimately is going to take care of it all. I wish we had time for you to start doing that right now, but we are, well, I'm out of time. So I'm going to pray for us. And I think we're going to start moving towards dinner. And some of you might even have a little bit of a 45 minute break before dinner. That could be a good time. Oh, we have pictures at five. So let me just pray for us. Lord, I, I thank you so much for paying for our sin, for paying the cost we could not pay. I pray that this truth just blows us away, that those of us who are unfamiliar with Jesus and his remarkable death in our place, that they, that they choose to believe in you and, and trust you for forgiveness in life. I pray that you help us to forgive people. Help us to forgive those because you have forgiven us. You know each story of each person in this room. Help them, Lord. Help me, Lord. Pray these things in your name. Amen.